0: Looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: To finish well, we really have to realize the words of that song that it is that moment by moment awareness of our daily need for the Lord. And if we know that moment by moment and we sense that he is the very air that we breathe and we keep that first and foremost in our life, then by the end of our life, every breath that we have taken, every part of our life, we then will be able to end well. I read a story recently that just before his team left the locker room before the national championship college football game in the Fiesta Bowl one January, Jim Tressel who was the head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes, gathered his team together to go over just some simple things just before they would go out onto the field. He reviewed the game plan, and then he asked them just one very simple question. He asked the guys this, how do you want to be remembered? Well, it must have worked because by the end of the game, the Buckeyes won that year's national championship, and they brought down the Miami Hurricanes, who had a 34-win record because of that maybe one question how do you want to be remembered however eight years later the headlines read this Jim Tressel resigns amidst NCAA violations well I know that still is being sorted out but the real question still hangs in the air how do you really how do you want to be remembered at the end of your life I think we can open up the newspaper during this last year and there are some politicians that are ending differently than when they began televangelists, preachers, CEOs, military people, you're going to find them wherever they might be, where they start out well, but by, by choices that they've made, we know that the likelihood of them ending well won't happen. And those of us that have families and we choose to make decisions and we do not end well, it's very, very costly. You think of all those different groups of people that I've mentioned, when they don't end well, it costs them dearly with their families, their finances, their careers. And the older we are and that we kind of bail out and we don't end well, we really don't have enough ground left in time to be able to uh, recapture that again. But I want you to know that it's not always doom and gloom and that we are destined to not ending well. I'm thinking of Billy Graham. Now he's almost in heaven, but yet this man has an untarnished testimony regarding finances and females in his life, a very godly man. And I think of even Ronald Reagan, how he ended as well. So the real question goes to us, how do we want to end our life? If we were in Florence, Alabama, I believe I could take you to an old family cemetery behind a plantation where they buried their old family members. If we crawled over the rock wall and we began to look at the little tombstones that are basically faded, this is what we would find in this particular family's cemetery. It says, Loving father, beloved mother, darling son, rest in peace, asleep in Jesus. But if we went further into that cemetery, way in the back corner, perhaps by the oldest person or the first person that was buried in that cemetery, is another little concrete rock type of monument. But on that monument, there's only five words. And I believe it said it all. It says this. Who lies here? A man of unquestioned integrity. So I really ask you now, how do you want to be known at the end of your life? Now some of us, we can project maybe 40, 50, 60 years. Some of us maybe be only 10 years. Some of us maybe be only a year. And some of us might be thinking about, boy, I really want to end well. Well, I'd like to make it easier for you. Instead of just thinking how I want to end well, all we have to do is to take those little baby steps. And every step we take, that one step, let's end that one step well. And then the next step, let's end that one step well. So for you, if you're involved in a committee or a club, You just take that one season of your life and do the best you can and end your season there well. And then you go to the next season of activities or an event and end that well. And what will happen when you finally are ready to meet the Lord? You can then look back at the legacy that you have left and that you've chosen every season of your life. You've lived it fully to the glory of God and therefore you have ended well. And I look at someone who's done that, no greater person than the Lord Jesus Christ, the night before he died... He went to, to his heavenly father and he said, I've completed the work that you called me to do. And then when he's up on the cross, it is finished. And yet his best work was still yet to be done when he resurrected from the dead. So now I look at Christ. He ended well. Now, for those of you who have trusted Christ as Savior, that means that you are now divinely reborn, which means now you're a partaker of the divine nature. So within you now, you have the potential, like Christ, to finish well if you allow Christ to live his life out through you. Well, last week we began, or two weeks ago, we began a series on finishing well. I gave you two of four points. Now, we could go over 400 points of what to do, but if I could only leave you with two, two of these that you could own for yourself, and you can take this in little bites over every event, every stage, every responsibility you have, then you too could end well. So here's the first one we covered, and that was simply start serving if you really want to end well you want to be known for doing something and we learn some things about that choose desire over duty in other words it's not just doing the duty it's because you want to do it that's that inner motivation choose giving over getting and of course choose being an example over being in control and so if you do that it'll work well now I have to tell you that I'm so blessed to pastor a church where there are so many people that have stepped up to do volunteer work here you know that we've launched our WANA program and we're a little bit fear and trepidation because we're not a big church and we didn't know that we would have enough workers in all the different parts and then we chose to do it with a dinner and then we chose to keep our lifeguards and wave Bible studies and our prayer groups going. Would we have enough people to do that in games? Well with prayer you people decided that you wanted to finish well so to finish well you've chosen to start serving. We've taken on some projects around here some of the roof projects, some of the paintings, some other things that we're doing in various areas and you said I want to start serving. Well if you haven't yet and you want to finish well there are plenty of projects around here that you can participate in so you can look back and say you know what I not only taught but I also got my hands dirty. I not only served but I also sweat and I've got sweat equity in this ministry. So there's a part for every single one of you so I would like to encourage you to start serving somewhere and if you're wondering where do I begin Well, I'll be sure to tell you that any of our pastors would love to come alongside you, find out what your zone is, your skill set is, your passion is, and we'll find that little puka that you can fill a little hole here because everybody is somebody in his body. And every part of his body needs every part of his body for us to do what God wants us to do. So if you want to finish well, start serving and do it as soon as you can. The second we learned about staying humble. And I don't think I need to park on that one too long, but simply choosing to give God the glory and others the credit. So as soon as you start saying Lord whatever I am and whatever I could be it's because of you that's the humility and then when things happen your way you know that you're not the person who began and ended all of this that you had help with others so you give God the glory but you give credit to other people. Well let's kind of get into some new material here about how to finish well. Number three would be to stop worrying. You might say well how does that come into you know finishing well? Well I find that worriers really don't make much of an impact on the world because often when we begin to worry about something we begin to have paralysis by analysis what about this and what if that And I don't think this is going to happen and oh what's going to go on in my life and we start fearing finances and fitness and friends and foes we begin to shut down we don't start serving then we really begin to worry and we kind of cocoon at that time And so I think sometimes we fight so many imaginary dragons that we don't have enough time or energy to fight the real ones that are out there. And then sometimes a person who worries, they tend to focus more on themselves. Well, I'd like you to know that when Carol and I return from this three-week trip, we're going to launch a brand new series here. The Lord has given me some great insight that I'd like to share with you on the fear factor. And We're going to talk about all the fears that we might have, the big ones, and then what does God have to say about it, and then how we can overcome those so we can be bold and strong and move forward and really finish well. And so again, we need to stop worrying. I think worrying sometimes is like those of us who fish. Now, I like to fish, really. I have to tell you that I have not fished. I haven't put one hook in the water since I've been here to Hawaii. And I look forward to the time that I can do that. But I remember growing up as a kid, I was probably not the very best fisherman and frustrated my mom and dad. But I remember going fishing, and maybe you have a young person like that as I was. I would get the hook and the line and the reel and all of that and I put my bait on there and I would you know cast it out and when I did the, it would hit the water, it would start going to the bottom and I mean to tell you not 15 seconds later what is a young kid who is wanting to fish he wants to see, did I catch anything yet? Is my bait still alive? And what do we do? We reel it in and we check it out to see if it's still wiggling. Yep, still wiggling. So we throw the bait back out there again and we keep doing it. Well, I'm telling you that because a lot of us, we do the same things. We will have our worries, we then give it to the Lord, but then we take it back again. And then we give it to the Lord, and then we take it back again. And do you know when we mostly take our worries back? After we shut the last light out in our home, and our heads hit the pillow at night, then we start worrying again. If that happens to you, can you say, "Uh Uh uh-huh? Sure, it happens to all of us. That's why in this passage, Peter says, Cast all your care, all your anxieties, all your burdens on Him. So when you hear that word cast, I want you to think about it casting it though, but also leaving it with Him. I heard a joke recently, so I'm preparing you. This is a joke, all right, about this guy who liked to go ice fishing. So he went out one day with another young boy, and so they drill their holes in the ice, and the boy was a little bit further down the the ice lake there, and he's fishing away, and this guy's fishing. He's not catching anything, but this boy over here seems every time he drops a line and he brings up something. So this old man went to this little boy and says, you're catching fish, and I'm not how are you doing all that? And the little boy just kind of looked at him and, uh, you know. So the guy said, oh, I'll figure it out myself. So he tried again and he didn't. The boy's bringing in fish and he's not catching any fish. He goes back and he says, How come you've got a bucket full of fish and I don't have any? How do you do this? And the boy went, hmm. Uh, uh, uh. And so the guy said that. Ah. And he went back and he started fishing some more and he finally gave up and he walked up to the guy and said, If you don't tell me how you're catching this fish, I might as well go home. So the boy kind of got up and then he leaned over and he spit on the ground. And when he did, he reached over and he says, Sir, you got to keep your worms warm. Get it? Joke. My point simply being is this. Is that some of us keep our, our worries warm. We think about it all day, and it keeps us away from having the creative juices to move forward. I went to a seminar one time that said this, that a resistant spirit destroys a creative spirit. And sometimes we resist doing something because of fear of failure, fear of the future, fear of something. And what happens then is that we don't have the creative juices to move forward to do something. Well, maybe you might be struggling with some of those worries right now. If I could give you two solutions to it, I believe these two might unlock some of that fear that you have and you can embrace that wonderful joy of peace in your life. And here's the first one. So how do you stop worrying? Simply pray about everything whatever you have you pray about it I particularly like the way it says here in the New Living Translation it says it this way don't worry about anything instead pray about everything I like that don't worry about anything pray about everything tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done so maybe you're going through something right now that's pretty heavy-duty whatever it might be what you want to do is you want to talk it over with the Lord you give it to the Lord you now now take that through and process it with him Allow Him now to take control of that in your life. Now, some of you might say, well, I have prayed about it, but I still have trouble. I give it to the Lord, but I still think about it. Well, here's the second solution. While you're praying about it, while you're giving it to the Lord, while you're remembering that He's in control of everything that's in your life, keep your thoughts on Jesus. You have to find that in Scripture, Isaiah says, that if I keep my mind on Him, I will have perfect peace. This verse goes on to say this in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. It says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at, the, at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on this earth. I like that last part. You think more about heaven and that God's on the throne and He's in control and He'll work this out His way and His timing and not worry so much about what's happening here. I believe if we do that, then our worries will now take flight and leave. Someone once said this, worry is letting the problem work on you. Prayer is letting the problem be worked on by God. And so maybe what you'll do is take the worry that you have right now and you say, Lord, I've been working on this thing. It seems the more I'm in it, the more I'm messing it up and things just aren't going right and my attitude stinks. So Lord, here's my problem, here's my issue, and I'm going to give it to you now. Now you work on it and you show me how I should partner with you through this problem. And when you do that, I believe then that the worries will begin to flee and you're going to see the solution. Maybe not yours, but God's solution, which will be the one that will bring you peace. So we learn how important it is for us to start serving. We learn how important it is to stay humble. We also learn how important it is for us to stop worrying. Now let's learn how to stand strong. Now this is a longer passage here in First Peter, verses 8-14. through 14. So I'm going to kind of pick it apart a little bit by talking about standing strong. You know, in order for us to finish well, we have to stand strong today. We can't be giving in. There's a phrase that's very familiar in our country since 9-11, and it goes like this. Eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. Let me say that again, eternal vigilance is the price of freedom, which means that we always have to be alert and on our mark. So how do you stand strong when you feel those temptations now to give in, to quit, to run away, to change direction, instead of staying with the stuff that God's called you to do? Well, let's give you number one, and I'm going to use military language because it seems like that's what's happening right here as well. So be on the alert be on the alert. The verse says be sober and be vigilant. Sometimes the military would call it military alert. In other words, you always have your guard up, always recognizing that a problem could come at any moment. Do you know that 20 times in the New Testament alone the phrase is watch out, or stay awake, or stay alert. It didn't say it one time, it didn't say it two times, it didn't say five times, or ten times, or fifteen times, but twenty times The reminder is for you and me to stand strong, to stay alert, because Satan would like to bring us down. Well, I got thinking about that. If it's 20 times, maybe it's telling me that I have a propensity not to be alert, to get lost in the sauce, be like the frog in the kettle, instead of realizing that I'm in a spiritual war, and at any moment Satan is going to do what he can to bring me down so that God doesn't get the glory. Now, if that's the case, then maybe a challenge for you, you might start every morning as you wake up in the morning. You might say, watch out. But when you do, do it 20 times. Watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. By the time we get to the 10 time, we're probably thinking, hey, I better watch out. Satan could get me. Watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. And by the way, you know that very well, don't you? How many times do you have to tell that to your kids? When was the last time, maybe more recently, you said, Now watch out! Be careful! Look two, both ways! We do that with our kids, and God is saying, Watch out! Look both ways! Not this way and this way, but also look up. Watch out! I have to tell you that two weeks ago, we honored one of our military personnel. You probably remember Stephen Shrewsbury, one of our deacons teaches our men's uh, study on on Saturday mornings, our breakfast and a Bible study here. Well, most of you probably have heard this last week that in Kabul, the embassy was attacked and the NATO headquarters. Maybe now you remember that that's where Stephen was stationed, not at the Air Force base, but he was stationed at NATO because he's an international JAG officer with the United States Air Force. Well, at four o'clock in the morning on September 13th, I received an email from Stephen And here's what he says. Stan, you may hear about a large Taliban attack on the ISAF, which is the International Security Assistance Force in Kabul. Our compound and the embassy were heavily attacked today with suicide bombers and rockets. It was a real battle with heavy machine guns and rocket-propelled grenades for several hours. And by the way, most of you probably read that it was a 20-hour siege. It goes on to say, We were guarding part of our compound for about three hours before moving to a hard shelter. I am okay, as are the others in my office. We are in lockdown, as he wrote this. And all is well. I've got to tell you that combat is scary. Your prayers are appreciated, but don't worry. God is in control. Tell everyone who may be interested that I am okay. I'll let you know more when I can. Well, I got thinking about the fact that Stephen was okay. Part of the reason he was okay is because you have been praying for him. Another reason he was okay is because he's been thoroughly trained by the United States military to be on the alert for things just like this. And they were fully prepared that when an attack would occur, that there is a soft shelter and a hard shelter in what they needed to do to get to be protected. Well, they live with that every day because they see it all around them. And for you and me as brothers and sisters and fellow soldiers of the gospel, we need to be aware that Satan is coming at us. True, we're not going to hear the bullets. We're not going to see the explosions. But Satan is trying to steal whatever word that goes into our heart and mind. Because if he can bring us down, listen, if he can bring us down, muddy our message, wreck our lives, shut our mouths for the gospel that means we'll influence a lot less people, watch this, and the people we already are influencing will give up and will lose the influence we already had in their life. What's the result? The consequence is we won't finish well. But what's the benefit if we heed a message like this and realize that Satan is out there and he is our enemy and the enemy that he has with us is only to bring us down so that God doesn't get the glory. But if we stand strong the blessing is Satan has less influence and Jesus Christ gets all the glory. Let me go a little bit further. Besides this important important fact of being alert, we need to know the enemy and sense the danger. We need to know the enemy and sense the danger. They would call that military intelligence. Go back to the verse, it says this, your adversary, the devil. Now, Some of you are probably circling the devil in your Bible, but I'd like you to underline the word adversary. Satan is never your friend. He's worse than your friend, he is an enemy to you. And let's see now what he wants to do. His makeup is, in other words, his character is, his identity is, as your adversary. He wants to take you down. He's a very formidable adversary. And those of you that think you can take Satan on yourself, you can't. That's why God gives us the armor. He gives us the weapon of the sword. And he is our commander that does the fighting in our stead. We just stand strong. What is his mission? Go back to the verse His missions and methods are simple. He walks about like a roaring lion. Yeah, you could talk about the the roaring part of the lion, but I like to think about the walking about and then it goes on seeking him whom he may devour so I'd like to say that Satan is a movable foe he's always around there wherever we go we can't leave Satan and go hide somewhere he will be there as well he'll be there in our quiet time he'll be there while we're trying to share the gospel with someone or invite them to church to hear the message and to worship with us he will be there as you work with your kids and mentor them Satan is going to be wherever you go. You cannot run from Satan. In fact, sometimes the times we think that we're probably well insulated is when Satan is going to do his greatest damage or wanting to do because he's seeking to do that. He never sleeps. He never slumbers like the Lord. And he wants to bring you and me down. So what's the next thing we can do? And that is we need to defend ourselves. Well, we would call that military resistance. Look at the verse. It says this. Resist him, referring to Satan. Firm in your faith. What I like about this verse is we're looking at that phrase. It says, resist him and stand firm in your faith. faith. But if you look in the context, this is key. Now, folks, this is what you need to lean into. The key part is this. In order to resist him and stand firm, it says, submit to God. I heard this at a seminar and I thought it really spoke to me. It talked about an umbrella that we would wear. Here in Hawaii, we have those beautiful rain showers and some of those that walk along Waikiki, some of our, our Asian friends that come, they like to wear sun umbrellas as well to kind of keep those sun rays from baking them or keeping the rain off of them. Well, we have an umbrella that God has provided for us and that umbrella will be those authority figures in our life, particularly those authority figures that are walking with God. Now with this umbrella that we have over us, if we submit to the Lord by submitting to our authority figures, kids to their parents, wives to their husbands, all of us to those that are in spiritual authority in our lives, those that are involved in government, as long as we submit to them, as they submit to the Lord, we will be under their protection the danger comes from two areas. If we have godly protection over us, but we choose to reject that or only listen to them when we want, it's like being partly under umbrella. Now, I don't like umbrellas. They're big and bulky, and I think sissies carry them. But as a... hang with me. But my wife though, she thinks umbrellas are important because she doesn't want to get her hair wet. All right, That's normal. Most ladies are like that. So we compromise. We have one of those little itsy bitsy teeny umbrellas you can almost put in your pocket. How many have one of those portable umbrellas like that? Would you raise your hand? They're basically good for nothing. Because when I, care, when I go out with Carol and we have this umbrella, I will hold the umbrella here and she's on one side and I'm on the other side. And so what really happens is this half of my body stays dry. This side gets wet. This side of Carol's body her hair looks great the other looks like a wet sheepdog okay and so it really doesn't work so now we're kinda dipping it back and forth and now we lose all the way around Now, I'm saying that because some of us, we are now understanding that God has put authority figures over us and that for us to resist Satan and all that temptation, we're to submit to authority figures. Now, again, it's to God, God using these authority figures. But when we obey them when we want or when we feel like it, then we step away and we want to do our own thing, we get in trouble every time. So that's why we need to stay smack dab right underneath our authority figures because we're submitting to the Lord. Now, let me speak to the authority figures. As a husband... As a father, as a spiritual leader in this church, we could all include, I could tell my wife, she needs to submit to me, I'm the authority figure. I could tell my kids, you need to submit to me because I'm your authority figure. I could say to you, I'm your pastor, you need to put yourself under me. On the other hand, there's great danger in that too. Because you see, if I'm now your umbrella, my wife's umbrella, my kid's umbrella, but I am not totally submitting myself to the Lord and those that I have to answer to appropriately, if I'm not doing that, that means I have holes in my umbrella. So while I am the umbrella, but I'm, not, I'm kind of a holy guy, but not a H-O-L-Y guy, all right? I've got holes in me. And so now what happens, is it will affect those that are under me. So all of you who are the head of household, all of you that have people that are called to respond to you under your authority and purview, it is important that you stay so close to the Lord and submit to Him. Then, as they're submitting to you, they're really submitting to the Lord because you're submitting to the Lord. So that whole process is, I resist the rain by submitting to the umbrella.